feel that there is no hope for you. This world has you beaten, your heart's been torn in two. Jesus holds the pieces, he understands he's been there too. He's waiting now to love you, he'll be there to see you through. He's been down that lonely road. Walked up Calvary alone. So if your cross you cannot bear, call on him, you Lord, to share. He'll be there to see you through. For you know he died for you. If you're feeling lost alone, he'll be In the darkness, with just a simple prayer, you're calling on the Father, telling Him each care. He is always faithful, His word is always true, and soon will come the morning as His light comes shining through. Walked up Calvary alone. So if your cross you cannot bear, call on him, your Lord, to share. He'll be there to see you through. For you know he died for you. If you're feeling lost alone, he'll be you cannot bear call on him you love to share he'll be there to see you through for you know he died for you when you feel you can't go on all your hope is gone if you're feeling lost alone he'll be if you would, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Here in just a moment, 
Today we're coming to a fourth message in the series we've been looking at of God Must Win. God must have the victory in our lives, and today we're continuing on um, looking at the, the subject of how God must win in every area of our life. Over the last several weeks, we looked at how God must win in the battle of our choices. Over the last couple of weeks, I said, I challenged you, how were your choices this last week? Did God win in the choices that you made? And you're looking at all the choices for each day. Did you put a checkbox next to God won that, God won that, God won that? Or did the devil win or did your own flesh win? And so God must win. If we're going to live the victorious Christian life, if God is going to have the victory in our life, if God is going to be glorified in our life, God has to win when it comes to our choices. Also, that God must win in all areas of our life, control of all the different areas of our life, and, and, um, and allowing God to direct and lead. We looked at that last week, and the challenge of Him being truly our, our Lord, and bowing our hearts down to Him as our Lord and our Savior, and allowing Him to guide us and direct us, and, and submitting to Him and, and His authority in our life. And, we also looked at a few weeks ago, we looked at how God has to win when it comes to discipline in our life, us being disciplined, and then when we step outside of what God wants us to do, how God will discipline us in our life, in our life, how that we'll learn and grow through that time of discipline when, when God, you might say, when he comes uh, into our life and he'll, he'll use circumstances or things to, to bring us back in, in line, he'll correct us, he'll discipline us. Whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth, the Bible says. And so we, he has to win in that area. Instead of us getting angry and upset like a pouting child, we say, Lord, I know that you're working in my life, and Lord, thank you for getting my attention. And so God needs to win in that area as well. And today we look at our fourth area that God must win in. And I want you to look here and, and look at verse number 24. Let's all stand if you would. Look at verse number 24, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you and praise you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts today. Lord, I pray that you truly would win in this area of our life as well. You would be God, our one and only God, that we would serve you, we'd trust in you, we'd submit to you. Lord, I pray that you challenge our hearts today, Lord, that we might hear the message you have for us. Lord, we're here for a purpose, a reason. Lord, you brought us together, and Lord, you want to speak to our hearts individually. I pray that we'd hear the message. I pray that we'd obey your voice. I pray, Lord, that you'd be glorified in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There, here we see this verse of Scripture. is a, a, a passage of Scripture I think many of us are familiar with. The scripture is from the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to picture, if you were there that day, how many of y'all would love to have been there that day when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount? I got my hand raised. Man, I'd love to have been there. I'd love to have been, I want you to just picture it with me. They talk about the Sermon on the Mount. We often think about mountains here in this country as being this great big rocky, like the Rockies, and you got these great big pinnacles and the white-topped mountains and stuff like that. Where Jesus preached this, we would have called it a hillside. They would have called it a mount, just different words. It would have been actually on the hillside that is right there that surrounds the, the, uh, the, the Sea of Galilee. And picture this, okay, up by Capernaum, and just, just barely from Capernaum, between Capernaum and the, the, the uh, uh, Sea of Galilee is this place that they believe that Jesus preached the sermon. And he used the, that hillside as kind of a, a backdrop to be able to, to have his, his voice echoed down, and the people were down below him. And just picture that. Now, just now imagine that you're there. And Jesus is speaking, greatest message of all time, you might say, the, the Sermon on the Mount. 
You can't get angry with the preacher, right? I mean, he's perfect in every way. I'm not. He is. And he's speaking words, and, and you're sitting there, and you're following. And I, I, if I was sitting there, I'd be like, on every word, I'd be like, oh, yes, this is good. I can't wait to hear what he has to say. And you're following along. And, and so here he's preaching, and there he is preaching about, and he gets to this place, and he says, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one or be loyal to the one and not loyal or despise the other. And at that moment, you're thinking, no man can serve two masters. And, and, and he's saying about who you're being faithful to and who you're serving. And he says, you cannot serve. And you're thinking to yourself, I know what he's going to say next. He's going to say the devil, right? Because he's talking about, you know, he came here to have victory over the devil. You can't serve God and, and the devil. You can't serve God and, and the world religion. You can't serve God. I mean, you start to fill in the blank. And you can imagine, I'm sure sometimes you do that. I do that sometimes. When somebody's talking, you, you think you know what they're going to say, and you jump to the conclusion of what you thought they were going to say. Anybody ever done that and got it wrong? All the rest of you got it all right? Oh, yeah, good. I don't. I get it wrong sometimes. You got to be careful that men with your wives, when they're going to say something, wait till they finish. You can get in some trouble that way if you don't. Yeah, I've done that a time or two. And I won't ask my wife to agree with me. Last time I did, she just looked at me. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say anything. I talked to her later. She says, what do you want me to do? Say, you're a terrible husband? What do you want me to say? Oh, because he's being quiet back there, not saying anything. That's good. But we all do it, don't we? We think we know what the person's going to say. Well, here you are sometimes in your message, and you think what the next word's going to be. And here's Jesus speaking, and you're listening to what he's saying. And you think, no man can serve two masters, for you'll serve God. You can't serve God, and... I didn't see that one coming. I thought he was going to talk about serving these other things. They might have been thinking about serving God or the Romans or serving God or, you know, whatever they would have filled in. They wouldn't have thought about mammon. That's not manna, uh, man, manna from heaven either, by the way. That's not what he's talking about. It's not manna. It's mammon. Mammon. Jesus, he's talking about something that they, they caught him. I believe most people would be caught off guard by this. And by the way, what does mammon mean? In the Greek, it simply means wealth, money, riches. It could include poverty. I mean, property, riches, not poverty. It's the opposite of property. And, and so here we are. He says you cannot serve. He says there you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. Last month was Lordship Month. We talked about how we had to put God as our Lord and put him at the head of our life and have him sit on the throne of our hearts and putting him first in our life. And now we see here a challenge to us that one of the things I believe is one of the greatest idols that people worship today is the idol of money. And Jesus Christ says you cannot serve God and serve mammon or serve money at the same time. You can't do it. So here's the question, how is it possible and when are those times that I serve money over God? Now, if Jesus included in the Sermon on the Mount, I think it's probably applicable to us. I think it's something that's a problem that's pretty prevalent with society. Jesus included it in his sermon. That means that I believe that every one of us, we're challenged with this in our life. It's something that we all could be capable of doing, of serving money instead of serving God. So how is it possible, and when are the times that I serve money over God? And that is what we want to see today. I want us to delve into it. How is it that I serve money over God sometimes? How, when, what does it look like? What could it be? 
And you might say right off the bat, well, that's not true in my life. Well, let's take a look at it. Let's get challenged for the Holy Spirit of God. Let's let God speak to our hearts. Let's just look at three simple things that will help us to be able to identify this in our life and understand what our life should be and what it should look like as a child of God when it comes to this area of serving God and not money. And so the first thing I want us to look at here today is that understand the normal order for the Christian should be that I serve God and I make money. For a person that is following Christ, a person that is serving God, the normal order should be that I serve God and I make money. But you know, at some point, these two things, they come in conflict with one another, and there's a danger that you will let go of serving God in favor of serving the God of money. And that's why we're challenged about this. I want to read some scripture to you in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 15. Notice on the screen it says, which have forsaken the right way. Now, before we go any further, you have to understand the context of what's going on here. He's talking about the false teachers. They've forsaken the right way. And it says, and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bazar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. All right, so remember, you remember Balaam? Anybody remember Balaam? The story of Balaam, if you remember, raise your hand up. Okay, you remember it. Balaam, here he is. He's a prophet of God. And he gets bought off. He gets paid off with some money to prophesy so he can make some money. How many of y'all think that's a good thing for you to do that? bad thing, terrible thing. But look at verse 16, what it says about him. Continue. But was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. Now, when you look at that verse, he was rebuked for his iniquity. Iniquity for wanting to get gain. He was more interested in the God of money than he was in God Almighty. And it took a donkey, a dumb donkey, to speak to him to rebuke him, that donkey was smarter than he was. That should at least produce some smiles on faces, I have to admit. I mean, come on. You can laugh. It's okay. Sometimes we're not even as smart as a donkey when it comes to the subject of money. Nobody wants to say amen to that. People are willing to sell themselves out to money and yet not sell themselves out to God. Animals know better than that. <laughs> he was rebuked. Can you imagine what would happen if your dog ever started talking to you? All right, let's go for a walk. Your dog starts talking. What are you talking about? You don't know how to take a walk. Look how fat you are. <laughs> I was rebuked by my dog. I'm cutting your diet. You're not getting any more scraps from the table. Now you're talking back to your dog, having a conversation. Balaam did too, by the way. If you go back and look at it, he actually had a conversation with, I don't know about you, but if a donkey starts talking to me, I'm, I'm gone, man. I'm out of here. I'm going to look for some help. Somebody can help defend me against the talking donkey. I'm going to Carolyn Masson's house. I know she knows how to handle animals. I'm out of here. What's that? Oh, yeah. Oh, she said it takes one to know one. I, I don't know what she meant about that, but mm, I'm going to leave that alone. When animals start talking back, even in messages when they start talking back to you, it, it can be a very b difficult thing, very hard thing. You know, and you get rebuked by that. 
man, we're having fun today, aren't we? Come on, you guys can smile. We're in church. We can smile. It's okay. Nothing wrong with that. And it's good because it's good when you smile about stuff like that because you look at it and you just think how ridiculous it is. And then you start looking at yourself and you go, oh, wait, hang on a minute. There's times when I'm guilty of the same thing. There's times when we're not careful that we can be as guilty of um, and, and forsaking the right way, going astray, following the way of Balaam, doing something that God is against for money, putting God on a shelf and worshiping the God of money. And so I want to just think about it for a moment. I want us to just think and ask ourselves the question, how many of you can say that you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ? If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, raise your hand, right? All right. How many of you all would say, I want to follow Jesus Christ? I want to be in the Lord's way. I want to be a disciple. I want to follow Christ, right? We've got our hands raised. We want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We want to do what God wants. We want to live the way God wants us to live. How many of you, let's say, through the month of February, this past month, made some money either by going to the job, by working, uh, by maybe getting some money back on investments, by getting Social Security because you previously worked a job? How many of you all made some money in the month of February? Raise your hand if you did. All right? Everybody's got their hand raised. That even includes money mom and dad give you or that you earn as a child. So most of us probably made money, had money. And so that's the perfect order, right? You notice what I did. I first started off with talking about being a born-again believer, a person that's wanting to follow Jesus Christ, trying to live the way God wants them to live, and you made money. That's the perfect order. I'm trying to serve God. I'm trying to support my family. That's the way it should be. But what sometimes happens, though, is that the money gets a hold of you, and the decisions that you make are not based on serving God, but rather getting more money. That money gets a hold of you, and now you want more money. You want more money. You want to earn more money. You need money in your life. And so getting money becomes the driving force, and God is pushed to the back. God is put on the shelf. God is secondary. Now let me give you an example, and I want you to help me with this one. Let's take a pastor, for instance. Let's say a pastor, he's working at a church that God had called him to, he knows that God put him in that church. God placed him there. The people ratified that. They said amen. They all voted on it. It was something that was ratified and that people were 100% for. If he's the pastor of that church, he's making a, a living. He's being able to pay his bills. He's not living in starvation. He's, he's doing well. But he hears that there's another church that's across the country that's willing to pay him more. And so he decides because that church is going to pay him more that he just ups and moves. He goes to that other church where he's going to get paid more money. Now, how many of y'all think that's the right way a pastor ought to make a decision when pastoring a church? What do you think? <laughs> of course not. I would hope that you wouldn't think that. That'd be the wrong motivation. be absolutely the wrong reason for it. By the way, sometimes that does happen, sadly to say, because pastors aren't perfect. That's the truth, and it shouldn't be that way. It's wrong. But now let's look at it from a different perspective. Because every one of you, I mean, you should have had some holy indignation within your heart and say, that makes me sick to think that a pastor would be motivated with money like that. But what about this? Average church member. You discover that there's a job opening in another state doing what you do now, making $20,000 more than what you make now. Are you going to make the decision based upon the $20,000 or are you going to check with God to see if you ought to go? You know how many Christians wouldn't have give it a second thought, wouldn't even pray about it, would never even talk to their pastor about it and ask him to pray with them, would up and move and go to a new location, and a new area, because they're going to make $20,000 more? 
They're motivated by the money. They're motivated because money is what's important to them. And we all know people that have done things like that. I have. I've seen people that have done it, and I'm not trying to attack them right now. Not everybody that moves is doing it for the wrong reason, by the way. Just because somebody's called to a different place doesn't mean they're wrong. Just because a pastor goes to a new church doesn't mean he did it for money. It's a matter of the heart. But I've known people that made a decision to move. They had no idea if that new place they were moving to even had a church. Had no idea, and on top of that, any idea whether there was a good church that they should go to, that they should raise their kids in, that they should be part of, that they should be members with, that they should give their money to and toward missions. Why do I include money? Because it does make a difference how we use our money. We're supposed to be a good steward of that money that God gives us. And giving money to a bad religious organization is really bad. It's a bad idea. It compounds things. You're, you're actually supporting things that are actually wrong. You go to the wrong church and give money to the wrong thing, and you give money to the wrong mission, now you're partly responsible for what's wrong. And it's not just that, it's hurting you because you're in some church that's dead. It's got Ichabod written over the door. By the way, that means the glory of the Lord hath departed. There's no life in that place. Or there's uh, the type of life in that place that's not honoring and pleasing to God. And you, you, you join together with that church and you did it all for what reason? $20,000, of course. That's a lot of money. It is. But the motivating factor wasn't because God led you or because you prayed about it or because you asked for people that you trust that are godly people to pray with you about it, and, and you went to all the, 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 making sure that God was opening that door and that God was in it. No, $20,000 speaks, and so you went. Spoke to your heart, by the way. That $20,000 speaks loud to your heart. And so you go. Never thinking about the fact that that job over there that's going to give you $20,000 more might even if there's a good church there, might be more demanding on you, might cause you to spend less time than you have now in your time with God and your time with your family, and everybody suffers because of it. And all because you stepped out of God's will, and you did it because it was your God's will, money. In that instance, money becomes God. Money was controlling. God is pushed to the back. You say, I've never been in that place. I can assure you that sometime in your life you're going to have to face this problem. You're going to face the problem about whether you'll work at a place that is not honoring to God because of the money. You're going to work at a place that does things that shouldn't be done, and yet you'll go there and work because of money. You're going to be faced with the decision of whether or not you're going to put God as a priority in your life and whether church is important or money is important, whether you're going to be in church or not. We're all going to be challenged with this. So do I serve God or do I serve money? What are you serving today? Jesus is very plain about it. You can't serve both. So what's most important? What's first in your life? Are you going to let money control your life? Or are you going to let God control your life? Say, well, I, I'm going to let God control my life. What are you doing now? What have you done in the past? What have you done in the past month? Who's in control? Who do you serve? Number two. The normal order for the Christian is that as I serve God, I have the capacity to love everyone regardless of their financial wherewithal. As I serve God, I have the capacity to love everyone regardless of their financial wherewithal. So the Christian serving God should be able to love the poorest of the poor the same as he loves the richest of the rich. The poorest of the poor the same as the richest of the rich. 
But you know, if you start serving money, you're going to start dividing people into groups. These people over here, they fit inside my group. They make the same, similar amount of money as I do, or perhaps more, because I'd like to ascend to that. These people over here, I'm going to love on them. I'm going to spend time with them. I'm going to be nice to them. But these people over here, now, they're lesser people. You know, there's even churches that do stuff like that. And I, I want to be careful about that because I, 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 I've heard of churches. I, there's churches in the past that put the word free in their name because they split off from the church that charged people for the seat they sat in. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. They actually, the old Methodist church, I might as well say it, they actually charged people for the front rows were more valuable than the back rows. And the people that of high money and high esteem in the community would pay for the right to be able to sit in the front seat. And when there was a split in the Methodist church, they have free Methodist now. It's because it was free to be able to sit in the seat. You didn't have to pay for it. Boy, in the Baptist, if we sold the back row, we would make so much money. Oh, missed out on a fundraiser right there. We could put new carpet on the walls with that alone. <laughs> These up here, though, are good seats, too. <laughs> You're like, preacher, you spit. I'm sorry, I can't help it. Having some fun with it. But you know, it's sad, though, that in churches, now we're not a free Baptist church. We're, we are a, a, a fundamental believing church. We believe in the fundamentals of the gospel, the foundational truths of the word of God. We do believe, in, in, and we are different than a lot of churches, but I'm going to tell you this right now. I believe that our church ought to be a church that is known for the love that we have for one another that is known by the love that we have for even the lowest of the low. When I'm talking about hum humanity, humanly speaking, I'm talking about society. I'm talking about the way people would see people in the world today. Because if I'm serving God, I'm going to have the capacity to love my neighbor as myself. Because that's the second of the greatest commandments. The second one is to love my neighbor as myself. And if I'm serving God, if I'm powered by God, if God is my God and I am uh, submitting myself to God and I'm powered by the Holy Spirit of God, one of the fruit of the Spirit is going to be love, the very first one, by the way. And I'm going to be able to love those that are even, as the world would say, is unlovable. But switch serving God to serving money, and now you love people in their same economic situation. You look at people completely differently. You look at people for what they can give you. You look at for people, for how they look, how they smell. I mean, where they're from, what kind of money they have. You start judging people in a completely different way. Maybe even people that come in that are sinners don't look quite like what you want them to look like. Oh, that we would never have that kind of opinion with our kids, that we would shun children and young people because they come from a, a society that is wicked. When I say shun, I'm not talking about being just like them or being best friends with them, but they ought to know the love of God in our young people and our kids. Not, oh, I'm not sitting by him, man. I'm not, no. They shouldn't even be at our youth activities. <laughs> I want you to take your Bible, turn to James chapter 2 if you would. James chapter 2. Look at verse number 1. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. What? Hang on, what? Have not the faith? Here's what he's talking about. 
the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with respect to persons. Don't say you're a child of God and then you start judging who is lovable and who's not. Don't have the faith and say that I'm going to be looking at that person differently than that person because that one has this disability or that one doesn't. See, we can fill in the blank for anything you want. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring, a goodly apparel, apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile, vile raiment. That's not just unusual arraignment. That's vile arraignment. And ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, the happy, the fun, the more beautiful. And say unto him, sit thou here in a good place and say to the poor, stand thou there or sit here under my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? Ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called, your Christian? By the name by which you're called? These are some strong words. Now, before I go any further, let me say, I praise the Lord. I believe that our church is a very loving church. But you know what? We're just like one week away from not being that. You say generation. No, it's one week. It could happen on any given week that we're not that church we should be. Because why? The church isn't the walls. It's the people in the church. It's how we act inside the church. Building. It's what we do. How we act inside Sunday school, inside our youth group, inside our our, our adult groups and our small groups on our activities that we go to, the adult activities. And it said vile right there, by the way. That means the person, they could, they could be dressed pretty bad. And yet we're not supposed to treat them different. Now, if somebody comes in here doing something that is against the law, we stop them. If a young person comes in and is swearing left and right, you lovingly try to help them with the proper way of doing that, with the proper authority doing that. But understand, when you bring people in off the street, people that have never been in church, people that are living inside an ungodly, unchristian home, and then raised that way, their words that they use in that home, their regular vernacular, is going to include such things. And so we lovingly try to put the grace of God all over them. Lovingly. Try to train them and teach them. But they have to do it love. I want, you, I want to tell you a story about two visitors at, at an average church. I want you to think about this with me church is a small to medium congregation so people know for the most part who the visitors are sometimes they don't but most most people there they know who is a member and who's not on this particular sunday they have a family visit the family drives up in a nice car husband gets out he's dressed nice he's got a, a, a suit coat on nice tie i mean he looks sharp his wife i mean she's she's beautiful she looks sharp the kids i mean they're just like right in a row they're perfect in every way Obviously, this is a story. And, and so, they, nothing, they're all dressed just beautifully. They, they, they obviously have the best money to buy the best clothes, and they have the nicest car, and they, they smell nice with the beautiful um, uh, perfume, and, and the, the man wearing the, um, uh, what's it called? Oh, yeah, it's not toilet water. That's right. It's, it's cologne. 
And so he's wearing the nice stuff. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's the French toilet. All right, anyway, moving on. <laughs> that was bad. Well, Carolyn's looking at me like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. So they're, they're coming in the church, and everybody welcomes them. People are shaking their hands. I mean, everybody, whoa, we got to, hey, did you see them walk in the building? We got to go make sure we welcome them. Shake their hands. That lady, she's wearing a dress that's below her knees, too. The guy's wearing a suit coat and a tie. By the way, nothing wrong with modesty. Nothing wrong with wearing a suit coat and tie. Nothing wrong with dressing up for church. Nothing wrong with that. But everybody looks at it, and they, they are, they're making a judgment based on the looks of these people, based on the fact that they have money, and they go and welcome them and shake their hands. Oh, I'm so glad you came. They learn their names. Do everything they can to learn their names. You ever use name association? I have to. I really do. Chanel, number nine. <laughs> oh, man. You guys don't know what I'm talking about. Janelle. I couldn't remember her name for the first time. I had to put an association. Chanel, Chanel. All right, there we go. Sorry, now she's embarrassed. I didn't mean to do that. I won't go on because there's a lot of name associations. That's how I remember people's names. But everybody does it. They learn the name, and they try to figure out what their name is. But, and so they know when they come back, they can say, good to have you back. A few minutes later, there's this young man that pulls up on his bike, 20, 30-something, don't know, kind of dirty looking. Hair's not really that nice. He hasn't shaved very well. Parks out by the sign. He takes his chain off, and he attaches it to the sign of the church. He walks in the door, and nobody welcomes him. He's got a sweaty appearance. He's been riding his bike in the sun. He doesn't smell like beautiful perfume or cologne. Nobody welcomes him, except for one man. One man with special needs himself. One man that's been not necessarily welcomed by everybody either. I hate to say it, but if that's the way it happens at a church, you might have to say good people. Good people that were serving God, they go from serving God to serving money very quickly. You say, well, it's not just the money. Well, a lot of times that's what it is. They look at people as a dollar bill. They look at people as people they can move up in the community. They look at people as people that are going to get something in return. They look at them as money. And it happens very easily. We have to be so careful to be very diligent in the work. It doesn't happen to us. We don't see people that way. By the way, we ought not to think too highly of ourselves anyway, the Bible says, because I'm nothing but a sinner saved by God's grace. Yeah, we are. There's no way to judge people. Well, if they're doing wrong and they're not doing what God's word says, well, we need to pray for them and encourage them and love on them so they'll come back and they'll grow in the Lord and they'll learn things. And there's things they'll learn about living in their life that will get better over time as we love them and we're patient with them. It's not about money. Well, we have a bus ministry at Lighthouse Baptist Church right now. We do. It's not about money. It costs money. Because there's kids that need to come to church, people that, kids that need to know Christ as their Savior. I'd love to see all kinds of kids, all age kids come. They're welcome. Thirdly, who or what is getting the praise in my life? Is it God or money? Who's getting the praise in your life? Is it God or is it money? 
The normal order for the Christian is that as I serve God, I see God as the one who is at work in my life. He gets the glory. He gets the praise. But if I turn my attention to serving money, I see money as the instrument that is at work in my life. And the result is God gets robbed of the praise, he gets robbed of the glory that he rightly deserves, and money gets the praise that it doesn't deserve at all. In Ephesians 3, verse 20, it says this, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Unto him be glory. Unto him be glory. Unto him be glory. Listen, if you're a Christian and you're serving God, there is no question. It is God it is that is working in your life. It is God that is the one that is giving you the things in your life. It is God that is blessing you. And so you give him the glory. Now let's suppose that you have cancer. Terrible thing. You're living with cancer. What do you do? Let's say you're a person that's serving God, a person that loves God, a person that trusts God. And because you're serving God, you see God as the one who's going to work in your life. You go to the doctor, yes. You go to the doctor, the doctor says we have to do this therapy, this treatment, whatever it is that you go through, and you go through all of that, and at the end, you don't stop and say, well, it was the chemotherapy that, that healed me. You stop and you say, it was God that healed me. God might have used these men, these doctors, these ladies. God might have used and given them knowledge to be able to give the medicine that did help me. But when we're serving God, we're following God, we give God the glory because what God has done in our life. I know many people here that give God the glory for things they've seen God do, even though men were involved, ladies were involved. But God gets glory. He gets praise. Now, let's suppose that you have cancer and you're a person serving money. You find out the best cancer specialist uh, he is over another part of the country, and but it's going to be a lot of money, but that doesn't matter because you have a lot of money. And so you go to see the best cancer specialist on the other side of the country. You go over there, and, and because of all the money being no object over time, eventually you get healed. Because you're serving money, you give the credit to the fact that you had enough money to be able to buy the best care that you could possibly get. So the money be the glory. The money be the praise. You praise money rather than praising God. You say, well, that's an extreme, I know. But do you realize there are people that are praising money all the time? I think it's all, it's all the time in our society where you, you're, you're thankful because something happened in your life and you, you're thankful because of the money. You might be saying, well, I'm glad we have the money to be able to do such and such, instead of saying, I'm glad that God has blessed us with such and such. It's a way of thinking. Well, I worked a hard job. I worked all those hours. I made the money. God gave you the life. God gave you the air. God gave you the water. God gave you the house. God gave you the job. God blessed you with the money. Money is a byproduct of God's blessing, just giving it to you. It, it, it's not a God in of itself. It's an idol. I think it's amazing that we have in God we trust on our money because that's not the case in this country at all. It ought to be, but it's not true. And I, it ought to be true it's, it's for Christians, that's for sure. We see it all the time. How about the, the rich defendant that can hire the highest-priced lawyer to get him off? We all know about stuff like that. We've seen it happen. I'm sure they're praising what money did for them, not praising God. 
The politician who seems to raise the most money seems to win the election, and they praise the money as the instrument for winning the election. I hear it every election cycle. This one raised this much money, they're favored to win. You hear it all the time. When look back at it, they talk about the war chest of who had the most money. Well, how about maybe God was involved somehow in all of that? I pray, Lord, if God were involved in our elections, wouldn't it be wonderful if more people would trust God when it comes to who, how you're going to vote instead of trusting the, your pocketbook? We'll talk about trusting money instead of God. How about who you vote for? I'm going to vote for that person because they're going to put more money in my pocketbook. I don't care that they're for abortion. I'm going to vote for them because I'm going to get more money in return. Man, I can't even comprehend that. You want to talk about money being the God. It's so prevalent in, our, in a society that says one nation under God, there ought not be anything like abortion going on in this country. And, and you can just keep right on down the line a list of things that have happened. It's because it's not God that people are trusting in. The question, are Christians trusting in God? How about the businessman who throws money at a problem and, and to get a favorable outcome? He probably is going to praise money if he gets that favorable outcome because he had the money to spend and, and never giving praise and honor to God. But here's the big problem. You see, one day people will not be able to praise money at all. You realize the day's coming when that's not going to happen anymore? The day's coming. At that time, the only one who will be praised is Jesus. If you are in your life right now, having money ahead of God, that's going to change your life. But what a shame that it would take you getting to heaven and it changing then. What a shame that it wouldn't be right here on earth that we would put God first in our life. What a shame that we would not serve God and and make money to take care of our family as God blesses us. Putting it in the proper context. Nothing wrong with money, by the way. Nothing wrong with making money. Nothing wrong with being rich. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. It's when we put love, money, more than we love God. That's the problem. The day is going to come, though, when all the people that are bowing down to the idol of money, they're going to bow down to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, I want you to turn there if you will. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, God hath also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's coming a day when every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Last month was Lordship Month, and we challenged to put the Lord as the Lord of our life. One day, He will be truly Lord. And see, this is an ongoing challenge that we're going to have to, in this life that we're living right now, we're going to have to make a decision. Who is Lord of my life? And sadly to say, there are many people today that are bowing down to the Lord of mine, the God of mine, instead of bowing down to God. So who are you bowing down to? Who is it that you are looking up to and praising? Who is it that you are trusting in? Where's your faith at? How do you make a decision of what you're going to do? Is it based on money or based on what God tells you to do? Is it based on obedience to God and His Word? 
Are you going to let money control your life? Are you going to let God control your life? So will I believe that I'm going to let God control my life or your behavior will dictate and show what you actually believe? You tithe the way you should. You obey the word of God and, and you love people the way you should. Because money's not the issue. God is the issue. It's just a matter of being obedient. It's a matter of surrendering to the Holy Spirit of God and being empowered by the Holy Spirit of God and obeying what God tells us to do. And it's a decision we've got to make. Either we bow to money or we bow to God. You can't serve two masters. You're going to love the one and hate the other. Or you're going to be loyal to one and disloyal to the other. You can't serve God and mammon or money. others and not the money they can give or the things they can give. Love them with your love. So heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Does God speak to your heart today? I want to start with that question I asked toward the beginning. Do you know Christ as your Savior? Have you been born again? Is there a time and a place in your life when you realized you were a sinner? Because the Word of God says there's none righteous, no, not one. It means there's none that does right all the time. Nobody. You realize you were a sinner. You realize the penalty of sin is death. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Being dead spiritually and being separated from God eternally in a place called hell. Being cast the lake of fire, the second death. You realize that was their, your destiny aside from what Christ did for you and you believe that Christ died for you on Calvary's cross. He shed His precious blood for you. We sang about it today. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And you realize that. And you trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You asked Him to forgive you of your sins. He came into your life. You were born again. You know that you're on your way to heaven. If that's your testimony, would you lift your hand up high? Say, yes, I know that I'm saved. God bless you. Put your hands down. Perhaps you're here this morning. It might be because you don't completely understand. It might be because you know right now, down deep in your heart, you don't have a peace of knowing that you're on your way to heaven. Listen, God wants you to know. God wants you to have that peace. 
God has given us His Word that we might know. He says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants you to know. He wants you to know it by believing on Jesus Christ. You're here this morning, you say, Preacher, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know. I don't have that peace. I don't know where I'm spending eternity. I don't know if I die today or I'll go. But I pray for you. I won't embarrass you. I won't call you out. But you say, I don't know. I'm, I'm on the way to heaven. I don't know where I would go if I died today. Could you just lift your hand up right now? Can I pray for you? Somebody like that with their heads bowed and eyes closed and looking around. just a moment, we're going to have an invitation of time. I'm going to invite you to come. We'll have some music playing in the background. Our heads will be bowed. Our eyes will be closed. And I'll invite you to step out and come. If you're here today, you don't know Christ as your Savior. You'll come. We'll have one of our workers share with you from the Word of God. If you're a lady, we'll have a lady show you. If you're a man, we'll have one of our men. We'll share with you in our side room over here. Have a time that you can be alone and be able to share the word of God with you and how you can see it. Now, Christian, let me ask you today. Who are you bowing down to?